Well, good morning. Welcome to Sunrise. My name is Brett, and I'm one of the pastors here. If you have a Bible with you, would you please open it to the book of Genesis chapter 32. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can borrow one from these black chair pockets or at the ends of the side aisles. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to keep that one. Uh, Genesis chapter 32 is on page 23, if you're using one of the black Bibles, and page 16 in the gold Bibles. And you're going to want one in front of you today because we've got this tiny circular screen behind us. I'm not sure how much of the PowerPoint will fit up there. So it'd be better if you have paper in front of you so you don't, you don't lose your place. For the last few weeks, we've been looking at different encounters in the book of Genesis between God and members of one family, the family of Abraham, between God and Abraham. Last week, between God and Abraham and Isaac, his son. And today, we're looking at an encounter between God and Isaac's son, Jacob. We want to learn from these encounters what it means to know God. So please follow along as I read from Genesis chapter 32, beginning in verse 22. The same night, Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we look to you. We're looking to you right now. We don't want to be thinking of anything else except you and what you have to say through your word. We want our eyes and the eyes of our hearts on you. And so, God, help us. Help us to attend to your word. Help us to listen to what you have to say and what you have to say to us. Father, we pray that that you would come by your spirit and that you would speak about your goodness, about your son, about the life you offer to us. And I pray that you would draw us deeper into knowing you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, last week, uh, if you were here, I read a snippet from C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, a, a scene where the Pevensey children are in the beaver dam, and they're asking the beavers about Aslan, this king of Narnia who happens to be a lion. And they, and they said, is he quite safe? And Mr. Beaver says, safe. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. 
And at the end of that book, there's another scene that kind of connects the dots with that. At the end of the book, there's this victory banquet where the Narnians have triumphed over the White Witch. They brought peace and springtime to Narnia. And there's this big this banquet at the castle of Caer Paravel. And this is what Lewis says about it. He says, But amidst all these rejoicings, Aslan himself quietly slipped away. And when the kings and queens noticed that he wasn't there, they said nothing about it, for Mr. Beaver had warned them. He'll be coming and going, he had said. One day you'll see him, and another you won't. He doesn't like being tied down. And of course, he has other countries to attend to. It's quite all right. He'll often drop in, only you mustn't press him. He's wild, you know, not like a tame lion. One of the distinguishing characteristics of the God of the Bible is his wildness. He comes when you least expect, and he demands what you think you can't do without. He doesn't say what you want to hear. He doesn't ask you what you want to do. He's not a tame lion. We saw that last week in Genesis chapter 22 when when God called Abraham to take his son Isaac up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. Now God stopped him before he did it, but, but he asked it of him. Abraham had to reckon with a God who asked that kinds of thing of people. He's not a tame lion. And we see it again this week in the life of Jacob, who's Isaac's son. In this story, God meets Jacob in the night and he wrestles him until dawn, and he leaves him a different man. And it's a beautiful picture of how, how God makes people new. The Jacob, we see at the end of this chapter, he's, he's passing Penuel as the sun comes up and he's limping. That Jacob is a different Jacob than the Jacob on whom the sun set. God has done something during the night and made him new. And, and the most obvious way we can see that is that God changed his name. Look at verse 28. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, a new name for a new man. And there's something else kind of in the broader context here that I noticed this week. It's not, it's subtle, so I don't want to build too much on it, but I want to point it out to you because I think it's telling about what has happened to Jacob. Look earlier in chapter 32 at verse 9. We're going to get the backstory soon, but just it's enough to say that Jacob is afraid for his life from his brother, and he's praying. Verse 9, and Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac. He calls him God of my grandfather, God of my father. But if you look at the end of chapter 33 in verse 20, There, this is after what's happened in the passage we're looking at, there Jacob erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel, which means God, the God of Israel. He doesn't call him God of Abraham anymore. He calls him God of me, my God. He's my God. This is a new Jacob. So what happened to him? What happened to him is that he received the blessing of God. Look at the end of verse 29. And there he blessed him. He received the blessing of God. So what's the blessing of God? When God blesses you, especially in the book of Genesis, when God blesses you, he restores in your life in a small way everything that was lost when humanity was exiled from the Garden of Eden. So in the Garden of Eden, humanity had perfect provision. God was their provider. They had everything they needed. They never had to worry They never had to to strive. They they never lacked anything. And they lived in perfect community, right? Adam and Eve, they knew one another without shame. They didn't have to hide anything from one another. They, They knew one another completely. 
And best of all, in the garden, they walked with God in perfect fellowship. They knew him face to face. And when they sinned, they were cast out into a world where that that wasn't true anymore, where provision came with hardship, relationships were tainted with envy and distrust, and where God just seemed absent to them. But God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to restore this in your life. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to make you the father of a new kind of community. But best of all, I'm going to give to you my friendship. You're going to know me face to face. The blessing of God is reconciliation to God. It's a restoration of the life of the garden. It's a taste of heaven on earth. And it's what we were made for. It's the, it's the unscratchable itch of our lives. It's what we're chasing in our work and in our relationships and in our families. It's in, in our leisure. It's why even at their best, those things never satisfy us. We're looking for the blessing in all the wrong places. And Jacob had been doing the same thing until this night. So we want to see in this passage how to receive the blessing of God, the life we were made for. But we want to be careful. We don't want to come to this passage and and be looking for a technique, a method, a, a way of sort of forcing God's hand, making him bless us. He doesn't work like that. He's not a tame lion. But we can see in here principles about how God works in our lives, ways that we can position ourselves to experience his blessing in our lives. So here they are, three principles for experiencing the blessing of God. You have to come to him alone. You have to cling to him in weakness. And you have to confess your name and receive another. You have an outline on the back of your bulletin. So first, you have to come to him alone. Look at verse 22 again. The same night, he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. Jacob knew that he was at the turning point of his life. The next day, for better or worse, he was going to come face to face with his brother Esau. Now, 20 years before this, Jacob had swindled Esau out of his birthright and out of the blessing that was rightfully his. Jacob and Esau were twins. But Esau was born first, and Jacob came out clinging to his heel. So that's what Jacob means. Jacob means he grasps, he takes by the heel. Jacob came out clinging on to Esau, but Esau, as the firstborn, was entitled to an inheritance. He was entitled to his father's blessing, and Jacob tricked him out of those things. There was one time when Esau had been out in the field, and he came in just famished, and Jacob had some stew, and he said, I'll give you some stew if you give me your birthright. And, and Esau shouldn't have done it, but he did. And he lost it to Jacob. And then later, Jacob impersonated Esau and tricked his father into giving him Esau's blessing as well. And so after this, Esau comforted himself. The Bible says he comforted himself by saying, when my father's dead, I'm going to kill Jacob. And so Jacob wisely skipped town. He got out of there before it got nasty. And he, he spent 20 years in exile with his uncle Laban. And while he was there, he married Laban's daughter, Rachel. He got tricked into marrying Laban's daughter, Leah. That's another story. And now he's returning to the land of his fathers with two wives, two female servants who were also mothers of some of his children. Again, that's another story. And 11 children and a huge amount of wealth in the form of flocks and herds. He came back because God came to him in a dream, told him it was time to go home. But he knew that coming back meant facing Esau. 
He's got to see this brother who was wanting to kill him the last time they were together. So he sent messengers ahead as a courtesy to say, hey, brother, I'm on my way back. And when the messengers come back, what they report is, Esau's coming to meet you with 400 men. And that could, that could mean one of two things, right? It could be that Esau's planning a really big welcome back party, right? Just spared no expense. Or it could be that he's coming with overwhelming force to put an end to Jacob once for all. And Jacob doesn't know which it is. But he knows that whatever's coming is coming tomorrow. So Jacob sends his family, all that he has, across the river, and he waits alone. And we don't know why he got alone. We don't know if he got alone to, to think and pray. We don't know if he got alone just because he's hoping, you know, Esau's coming from the south. Maybe if he finds me first, he'll just take me and, and leave the children alone. We don't know why he got alone, but we know that it was in his aloneness that God met him. Because this, this man who came and wrestled with him, this passage is absolutely clear about who he is. It, it kind of dawns on us gradually. He, he's really reluctant to let Jacob see his face. He doesn't want Jacob to know his name, but he's a person of such power that he could just touch Jacob's hip and put it out of joint, right? By verse 30, Jacob has no doubt. Look what he says. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, which means the face of God. For saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. It was God who came and met him and wrestled with him all night. And he came when Jacob was alone. Have you come to God alone? Have you met him not as the child of a Christian family, not as part of a church, but as yourself? Do you know him? Have you met him alone? Now, I don't at all want to imply that we can't meet God in community. When we gather together like this, we, we do meet him here. We must meet him here. But God doesn't save people in groups. You can't come to God on anyone else's coattails. Not your pastors, not your parents, not the person who invited you to church. You have to come to him yourself. Now, sunrise is in a season where we got lots of new people coming, and we we love that. We're grateful for you, new people. We're glad you're here. Maybe you got invited to a community group, and eventually you find yourself here on a Sunday morning, or maybe you got connected first at Flourish, or maybe, maybe your sister or your son dragged you here one week, and maybe you've kept coming because you find the singing moving, or because you find the people loving, or because you find the truths we talk about comforting. Those, those things are all good but the danger for you is that your faith can always be secondhand. You can experience new joy and new peace. You can start making new choices in your life. You can start changing things. But it could all just be because it's what you're around. It's the air that you breathe. Maybe you knew people in university, I know I did, who were super involved in a campus ministry. They read their Bibles. Maybe they led a Bible study. They went on mission trips. They were just super involved. And as soon as they graduated, it just evaporated. There was, there was nothing to it. It was, it was secondhand. They never owned it themselves. Maybe that was you, and you're just finding your way back now. If you want to know the blessing of God, you have to encounter him and have a relationship with him face to face. You have to get alone with him. It has to be personal. You can't only read the Bible with your small group. 
You have to read it for yourself and wrestle with what it says. You can't just pray in groups. You have to have a prayer life that's just you and him. And I know that's almost the hardest thing in the world to do, especially in the age of the smartphone, right? The smartphone means you never have to be alone if you don't want to. You got two minute, a two-minute window of downtime. You can, you can check the headlines, check the markets. You can send a voice note. You can get on Instagram and make a story. You can, you can do anything in these two minutes. Your, your phone is right there, and it means you, you can never have downtime if you don't want it. Never time where it's just you and God. You can eliminate all margin for that. But if you want to know him, if you want to experience his blessing in your life, you have to turn that thing off sometimes. You have to put away your work. You have to get your spouse to watch the kids. You have to get alone with him and turn your attention to him. Even Jesus needed to rise early and go meet with God. This is how God works. Okay, so you have to come to him alone. And what should you do once you're there? Secondly, cling to him in weakness. Look at verse 24. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, almost every scholar who studies this passage and writes about it says that this was a a literal wrestling. It was a physical match, but... It was a a picture, an encapsulation of Jacob's whole life to this point. His whole life had been one long struggle. I mean, literally from the beginning. If you you look back where Rebecca is pregnant with uh, Jacob and Esau, this is what it says in chapter 25, verse 22. She was pregnant, and it says the children struggled together within her. Jacob and Esau were at odds even from before birth. Jacob struggled with Esau to get his birthright. He struggled with Isaac to get his blessing. He struggled with Laban to get Rachel for his wife, to get fair wages for 20 years of work. His whole life had been one long struggle. For what? For the blessing, for a taste of heaven on earth, for wealth and a family and a sense that he's worth something. And the way he has struggled has always been through self-reliance depending on his own wits, his own schemes, his own strength. He's been going after God's blessing as if it's something he can achieve. And God has to help him see that it's only something he can receive. The blessing comes by grace. It's a gift of his kindness. It's not wages for services rendered. So God, God wanted to bless Jacob. He had, he had appointed Jacob for this blessing even before Jacob was born. He wanted to bless him, but Jacob couldn't receive it as long as he was proud and self-reliant. And so God brought him into a situation that was beyond his strength, right? He brought him into a situation with Esau that was beyond his strength. Esau's coming with 400 men. Jacob has no army. It's totally beyond him. And this wrestling match is beyond him too, right? It seems like a fair fight for a while. They're evenly matched, but then this wrestler just reaches his hand out taps him on the hip, and the hip is wrenched out of joint. I mean, the match is over with a touch. Jacob now has no hope of overpowering him, but now he realizes who this is. He realizes he has God in his grasp. And so he's no longer trying to wrestle him to overpower him. Now he's just clinging for dear life and saying, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He's clinging to God in weakness, and now he's where God wants him to be. 
Now he can be done trying to achieve and just receive. Now he sees that he can't force God's hand, that what he really needs out of life, he can't get on his own. He needs to get it by grace. So he clings to God until he blesses him. Have you ever reached that point? Have you realized that what you most deeply need in life, you can't get in your own strength? You can get to the apex of your profession and it won't satisfy you. You can marry the man or woman of your dreams and have beautiful children and it won't satisfy you, not for long. You can retire early and travel to incredible places all over the world and it still won't satisfy you. You weren't made for that. You were made for God. And you won't be satisfied until you know him face to face. And you can't achieve that. You can only receive it. God meets us in our weakness, doesn't he? If you're a Christian, I want you to think about the times in your life when you've most powerfully encountered God. Was it when everything was going great? No, right? It's when we see that it's, it's when everything's going wrong. It's when life is too much for you. It's when you lose your job, right? It's when you're waiting to see if the results show cancer. It's when the depression is debilitating. When, when we see that we can't do this alone, that's when God meets us. It's not because he's not there when everything's going well. It's because when life is too much for us, that's when we turn to him and cling to him in weakness. And for some of you, God has brought you into a season now. Right now you're in it, a season that's more than you can take. And he's done it so you will turn to him and cling to him. He wants to bless you, but he's got to humble you before you'll receive it. There are few more accurate pictures of the Christian life than this picture of Jacob, crippled in his hip and just clinging to God for his blessing. That's the life of faith. The life of faith is not coming to God in strength, coming to God in confidence and getting what you deserve. It's knowing you don't deserve God's blessing, you can't achieve it, and you just simply cling to him for his grace. Trusting that what we don't deserve, he loves to give. Have you come to him in weakness and said, I know that I need you, and I don't deserve you, but I'm not going to stop seeking you until you show yourself to me. Jacob said, I won't let you go until you bless me. And Jacob found the blessing. We never outgrow that, do we? Even if you've been a Christian for 40 years, you never get to the point where you can do it on your own. Every day, you need to cling to God in weakness so he can bless you and strengthen you and transform you to look like him. You need to come to God alone, cling to him in weakness, and finally confess your name and receive another. Now, one of the strange things about this passage is that, remember, Jacob was returning to the land because God had told him to. God commanded him to go home. In chapter 31, verse 13, he said, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. Go home. So God is the one who sent Jacob back. But then, right as Jacob's about to come into the land, God meets him and opposes him. He meets him and wrestles him as he's about to come into his inheritance. He says, he says this is for you, and then he stands in his way. It's almost as though he's saying, this is your inheritance. I want you to come into it, but you can't come into it as you are. And that's confirmed in what happens after Jacob clings to him. So look again at the end of verse 26. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. Before he blesses him, God makes him tell him his name, and then God gives him a different name. Now, a name in scripture is not just what people call you. It's not just what you sign on documents. A name in scripture is who you are. Now, that's not really how names work for us, right? We, my wife and I, well, I, I was going to say we had a baby. She had a baby. Um, we named her Elizabeth. And so, so maybe Elizabeth, she's got lots of options, right? We gave her that name, lots of options. She can be Lizzie as she grows up. When she's older, she could be a Beth or a Betsy or a Libby. Her name is just what, what she goes by. It's, it's not who she is. But in the Bible, in, in this situation, when God changed Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel, something much deeper was happening. I said earlier, remember, that Jacob received his name because he was holding on to Esau's heel, right? He grasped by the heel. That's, that's what his name means. But since then, the name had taken on an uglier meaning. So after Jacob had stolen Esau's birthright and his blessing, this is what Esau said in chapter 27, verse 36. He said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. So Jacob could mean he takes by the heel, but it also means he cheats. His name meant cheater, schemer, thief. So when God asked Jacob, what is your name? He's leading him to confess that he really is who his name says he is. He's a cheat. He cheated his brother. He cheated his father. He cheated his uncle. He's no hero of faith. He's a moral failure. He wants God's blessing, but he has to confess that he doesn't deserve it, right? Adam and Eve lost the blessing in the garden because they sinned, and Jacob is no better than they. But God meets Jacob in his shame, in his confession of who he is, and says, no, not anymore. Now you're Israel, which means he strives with God. You're not cheater anymore. Now you're prevailer, overcomer, winner. Because you've given up living in your own strength, you've clung to my grace by faith, you've prevailed you found a new way to live, and I'm giving you a new name. And that's what happens when you meet God, when you encounter him in grace. In the light of his beauty and his holiness, you have to confess that you're not who you should be, right? When Isaiah was in the temple and he saw God high and lifted up, he said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, right? When Peter went out in the boat with Jesus, Jesus told him where to get that miraculous catch of fish, when it happens, when he realizes who's in the boat, Peter says, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. We have not loved God as we should. We've, we've not loved anyone as we should. Like Jacob, we have built our entire lives around ourselves, doing what we want, getting what we want. We don't deserve the blessing. But this God shows grace. When we confess our sin and forsake it, when we say, this is who I am and I want to be done with that, and we cling to him in faith, he gives us a new name. He says, your sin doesn't define you anymore. From now on, I call you righteous. Not because of your performance, but because of my grace. From now on, I call you son or daughter. From now on, I call you overcomer. When we receive the blessing, we receive a new identity. Jacob was new, wasn't he? There's 
There's a new wonder about him. Look at verse 30 again. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. He's amazed at God's kindness to him. There's a, there's a new humility about him, right? He limps. There's a new courage. The next day when he sees Esau coming with his 400 men, Jacob goes out first to meet him. He has seen the face of God, so why would he fear the face of his brother? He's certainly not perfect, right? If you read chapter 33, Jacob does it again. He deceives Esau another time. He says, I'll meet you over this way, and then he goes over this way. He's not all new yet, but he's begun to be a new man. And God will continue his work until he's all new. Do you want this in your life? Do you want to meet God, to experience his blessing, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time? You have to know that he's a God of grace. His blessing can't be earned. It can only be received. Meet him alone. Confess and forsake your self-centeredness and your self-reliance and cling to his kindness and goodness and forgiveness. Don't let him go until he blesses you. Now, does that seem too easy? Does it, does it bother you that Jacob received Jake, God's blessing after a lifetime of cheating and scheming? How can God just forgive him and renew him and, and never make him pay for all the things that he did to his family? Because God knew that someone else was going to pay. Jacob met God in the darkness and secured his blessing through being weak and wounded. And centuries later, Jesus met God in the darkness, not in the darkness of night, but the darkness of the cross. He didn't suffer just the touch of God on his hip, but the full weight of God's anger on sin. He didn't say, I won't let you go until you bless me, but as it were, I won't let go until you bless them. He was counted a sinner so we can be counted righteous. He was cast out as a stranger so we can be brought in as children. We can meet God in grace because Jesus met him in justice. The blessing can be free for us because it was costly to him. Are you living in the joy of this God's blessing? Is he your God, your father, your strength, your provider? Do you know him? If not, don't stop seeking till you do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that just as Jacob wrestled God for the blessing and secured it for his family, that, that you, you secured the blessing for us, that you went to the cross and you suffered what we deserve so that we could know God, so we could have forgiveness, so we could have a new name and a new life in him. Father, thank you that that was your plan. That was your plan from before the beginning to send your son to bring us to you. We praise you for the wisdom of your plan. We praise you for, we praise you for what it means for us that we're no longer slaves. We are children of God. And I pray, Father, that you would help us not to outgrow our dependence on you, not to begin living in our own strength, going our own way, but to every day, morning and evening, to cling to you, to depend on you, and to find that you, you are the God of grace. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.